Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Call, where we talk about all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the the one and only DJ. I didn't have anything this time. <laughs> I was like, come on, Rachel, come up with something. Nothing let me came. Let me tune up this vocal instrument. La, 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 la. There we go. I think that's the note. Uh, yes, yes, that is that is me, DJ. Rachel's uh, fellow podcaster. Yes. How are you doing, Deej? Are you staying staying healthy, staying happy? What's going on? Oh, we're in that weird but wonderful Pacific Northwest time where it is foggy until about two in the afternoon, Ooh. and then the fog burns off and the sun comes out, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. it rinses and repeats, and you get like a high of 55, so you can kind of wear just like a light hoodie in the afternoon, but a yeah. heavier hoodie in the morning. Yeah. Walked like eight miles. It was nice. Walked eight miles. Good Lord. All right. Well, anyway, speaking of like walking, let's talk about our uh, walkers here in in the Dark Tower because they're always walking somewhere. Uh, We're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about Wolves of the Cola, Part 1, Toadash, Chapter 5, Overholzer. And then we'll close out the show with a listener question. With a listener question. Question. What is wrong with me today? (laughs) I've been getting the question on. (laughs) I have have to ask you a question. (laughs) (laughs) That almost sounds like a speech impediment of some kind. It sounds like I'm doing creepy baby talk to you. Like, ooh, I need to ask you a question. (laughs) 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 Anyway, before we get into that, DJ, can you please remind our listeners what our spoiler policy is? Uh, Well, reach into your silverware drawer and pull out a uh, spoon and make sure that you dip it into the sauce of madness and we'll draw a line on the ground to let you know. Sauce of madness. You're crossing into a church or you're in regular zone. So that's your spoiler zone warning. Spoon's out. Got it. I took me a minute. It was a little bit of a journey, but I got it. Sauce There's a great head. line in there where um where like uh Overhoser is explaining to Roland that like the <laughs> sauce is a little bit of madness. Yeah. But that's great for churches and you know that sort yeah. of thing. Just not for regular <laughs> stuff. I was like, oh, he's going off book for this one. That's a twist. And then I like it circled back around and I was like, oh, I see you, DJ. I see you. I should have planned this better. I don't know what spoon you serve sauce with. So a ladle, maybe? Maybe. I don't is there like because I know if you're really fancy, forks and spoons and knives can multiply into, you know, an entire orchestra of equipment to do things yeah. correctly. <laughs> an orchestra. I love that. That's so poetic, DJ. No, <laughs> but yeah, I think probably a ladle. Like if you put gravy on something, you use a ladle, a soup ladle. Yeah, but okay, so like a ladle would be gravy, but well, well, listeners, chime in with your uh, utensilary <laughs> skills. Listen to question on Facebook next time. <laughs> Let us know what is the, the appropriate serving vessel for sauce and what defines sauce because now I'm confused. Does gravy count as sauce? Does, is a hot it, dog a sandwich? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh... I mean, kind yes. Of? I I think anything that's meat between two pieces of bread is a sandwich. Is a taco a sandwich? Uh, well, is the taco shell a bread? I mean, it's a corn flour Mesh? based kind no, of. No, it's not. It doesn't rise or anything, right? Oh, but, but I mean, not all bread rises, right? There's like unleavened bread. I guess those are just crackers. Yeah, but so. you really you make that into a sandwich. <laughs> I mean, if you put cheese and meat between like any sort of bread product, I'm gonna eat it. So yes. 
<laughs> anyway, where do we leave off with our friends? Uh, okay, so uh, we had just been introduced to uh, the preacher who's rolled in and talked to these guys for a minute. And he has close behind him following the rest of the gang from the town and aptly named Overhoser is the uh, gentleman that needs convincing that these guys are the gunslingers. Uh, we basically uh, get Roland starting off with a warning to Susanna to like, hey, um, uh, these guys are coming. Uh, I need you to like pay attention to stuff and watch what's going on while we interact and let them think that you're my Siobhan, which I guess is like a sidewife or mm-hmm. possibly a mistress or yeah. – um, you know, whatever. A uh, nudge in the night. Okay, a nudge really. in the night. And <laughs> we get this moment of internal dialogue with Susanna where she is like, the only time I ever really felt comfortable <laughs> was yeah. pretending, like as a child, pretending mm-hmm. was the best thing ever. And and so part of her is angry that Roland would <laughs> assign her this like sidewife role. But the other part of her is happy that she got this role because it's like the most comfortable thing to do is to pretend. And and there's a line in there where it's like, and this pretty much says everything that you need to know about Susanna. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very, very telling statement that she feels most like herself when she's pretending to be someone else. Yeah, so uh, that's a kind of good insight into Susanna. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it also shows that like Roland has sort of thought about this interaction that's coming up as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also a little weird because that sidelines Susanna from actually being part of the gunslinger repertoire when these folks come up, right? I mean, initially, right, that he intentionally has her hide who she is. And I think that there's some degree of gamesmanship that's happening here, right? Like he basically is telling her to act a non-threatening so that she's able to observe them more carefully. Possibly they're going to sl- slip up or feel more comfortable saying things in front of her that they wouldn't say in front of him. It allows him to kind of get a potentially greater insight on who these people are. Um, well, if they're not paying attention to her, she could be paying attention to them. Uh, it also, I think, speaks a little bit to what he assumes about the culture of this area, that he could basically pass her off as a sidewife and they would accept that without questioning it, despite the fact that they're just meeting them for the first time. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's 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 for someone who is saying he's not going to be convincing anyone to let them t- take the task. He like right off the bat goes into strategy mode and is doing all kinds of subtle manipulation. Yeah. And and so I kind of wonder if this has less to do with him wanting the job or but so much as it is like just sort of his innate desire to kind of fulfill his purpose as a gunslinger. That he yeah, would do I, I don't I don't know. That, I just wanted to get your take on it. And that was pretty good. Um, I yeah. wasn't really sure what was going on, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. it does sort of seem like Roland wouldn't accept the job unless someone basically asked them to take it. And he deemed mm-hmm. him in the white, I think, was the term that they used in yeah. the last chapter. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting because, like, he – and this is something that happens throughout this. He doesn't do, like, a ton of, like, convincing in terms of, like, talking someone into something. Mm -hmm. But he is basically setting the stage for them to have no choice but to ask. So it's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So moving on, we kind of get a perspective uh, from Susanna's point of view. Yes, finally. Of her morning sickness mm-hmm. and her wobbly legs mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and her hour break before she can actually get going in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and her also convincing herself that she is definitely not pregnant because she's had her period a few times or, or the Menzies, the bloody rose, uh, <laughs> Stephen King euphemizes this, uh, quite uh, a bit yes. throughout. <laughs> and then it's like, I didn't really think about this as a hygiene sort of thing, but like these mm. guys are traveling out in the, you know, like the grasslands and hinterlands and stuff. Where do they shower? <laughs> I mean, they probably I don't, don't know right? that they do. <laughs> I think probably they like when they come across water, they do like a yeah, a less rough toilet, you know. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not it's not like probably a daily shower kind of situation. So what we find out is that um, previous to her um, joining the group, uh, she had had periods that were um, very painful but not that messy and now apparently she's burying rags along the trail Mm -hmm. uh and that's probably enough information on that (laughs) particular topic um she's uh also pretty sure that she's not pregnant because she has none of the signs but she's also afraid that and she mentions that a false pregnancy is um, mm-hmm. that she's seen her friends swell up, but not mm-hmm. actually be pregnant. Yep. And there's also this mixed desire to definitely have Eddie's baby mm-hmm. um, and to be carrying it, but also to be fearful and concerned of the like actual changes that that would imply to her body with mm-hmm. said baby. So, um, or chap, I suppose I should use the, uh, the correct Balance. term yeah, yeah. um and, and so yeah and and basically she's sort of in this watch mode to play, pay close attention to the group as they roll in and we're just kind of getting like a lot of inside brain from Susanna right now yeah finally finally so like we have been doing a lot of speculating about what she thinks what she knows what she doesn't know all of the like what she thinks about all these pregnancy symptoms that she's having and you know like you and i kind of had a little back and forth about like maybe she doesn't know maybe she really does think it's gas maybe she you know she does and she's covering like we couldn't really tell so finally we get to hear from her and what we find out is that she continues to be an unreliable narrator only in this case to herself um, <laughs> well, yeah. so there is like a little bit of not unreliable narrator in that she's having like really weird dr- jumbled dreams. Mm-hmm. And but so that's what I mean. She isn't unreliable because she's telling herself that these are dreams. She's telling herself that all these symptoms can be explained away. Ah, okay. Yeah, you're you're right. Yeah. So she, you know, she continues to be extremely adept at keeping the truth from parts of herself, like finding sort of this loophole of the hysterical pre- the she calls it a false pregnancy, but it's also known as a hysterical pregnancy or pseudocysis, which is a real is it? I didn't know that was an actual thing. Absolutely. It's a real phenomenon. Um, like to the point where you can have literally every symptom of pregnancy, including like your stomach expanding, all of those things can happen. Everything minus the fetus, essentially. What? Yeah. It's it's a thing that dogs can get sometimes. Like they they you'll see it in animals and you'll also see it in people. Yeah. Oh, that's you, so like weird. A psychosomatic pro- pregnancy, essentially. Um, but obviously her sort of out for this is that she is having these really gruesome periods that are on not the kind that she typically has and i think that you know what this kind of tells us i know we don't need to go into detail about it but like it, it's clear if we didn't already know from seeing how mia is behaving in the woods that this is an unnatural pregnancy 
and that it is both gruesome and extremely bloody is again like if not literally a, a cause for concern although it should be but also like just sort of um metaphorically tells you a lot about what is happening inside her body ah uh, yeah, yeah yeah and uh it is interesting that like she is fooling herself. Uh, oh you- <laughs> yes, very, she's very good. At, I mean, and when she talks about like this headache that keeps coming and going, like those headaches were also connected to the 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 different personalities when she was having the Odetta Detta split. So, mm-hmm. but it's interesting that she st- she does not pick up on these headaches and make the connection that oh, if this is still happening, this is a sign. Like she's just so skilled at keeping those parts of herself separate. I mean, we preface this with uh, pretending is her is her favorite thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So then basically the rest of the group starts to roll in. We get all the rest of the folks from the town. Sort of a description of a guy with a Stetson-style hero hat, which I'm not very good with cowboy hats. So I don't know quite which it version a- of cowboy hat that is. It's like the exact when you think of a cowboy hat, it's that. It's like the it's the epitome of a cowboy hat, like in those, like you know, nineteen fifties western films. The hero would have like a white Stetson hat. Okay, like the cheesy one that has the dip in the middle. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because when I think of like traditional western hats, I think more of like later Sombrero, Clint Eastwood. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. where it's like a uh, shoddy top, flat with like just a big brim mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know more as a practical whereas those curvy ones on the top the curve serves zero value i think uh, unless someone I tells me maybe otherwise prob- maybe it has something to do with like rain i don't maybe um yeah i don't know if anybody knows the answer to this like let let us know but i would be interested to know if the the dents or divots or whatever on those types of hats are designed for a specific Uh, purpose and solve some kind of practical issue Uh, because i don't actually know that much about hats and uh, i could probably stand to learn some um so basically this is a fancy hat it takes like a hat maker quite a bit of time to make which i thought was interesting because as soon as he focuses it on the hat i'm like that means that there's a hatter somewhere in town oh yeah there's somebody who what are they a milliner there's got to be a milliner in town Yeah, so basically that paints him as kind of the rich, um, most well-off person in this group. Uh, When she's describing the face, there's a a pretty important bit. They they mention the lines and and the lines on their face that will eventually turn into jowls. And Susanna's like kind of remembering her father for a moment and and calls these I want lines. Mm -hmm. And I I was kind of confused by that. I I wanted to ask you about it. Is is that like – maybe the face of like concern or of of need or i i what what are i want lines so i don't know exactly what it is but my my impression based on this is like the kinds of expressions that people like entitled people would have on their face like maybe they're like frowning or like i want like a pouting almost look and like those lines maybe like kind of as they're frowning, like maybe kind of like deep frowning lines where they're used to getting like pouting and getting what they want. I don't really totally know. Okay. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and then the, the son and, and father duo kind of do this, like 
goofy gunslinger salute where they the father gets it about right and he like basically drops down to to one knee and like bows his head his son sort of awkwardly like kicks his leg out and kind of lands but not quite getting it right uh overhoser sort of just gives him like a not very respectful gunslinger salute and then we also have um this taller uh soft-spoken gal that uh susan kind of or susanna kind of identifies as possibly African-American um, uh, and, and darker skin than her uh, hanging out with the group. Um, and, and they kind of fumble in. And when they do, uh, they're, they're trying to, you know, properly introduce themselves politely. And, and then Overhoser kind of just like pushes through the group mm-hmm. and is like entitled rich guy mm-hmm. being like, no, this is what we're doing. And, and the statement is like they asked us to come out here and check on you guys and see if you you know see what you're about and then he gets kind of a correction from the other one it's like well that's not actually quite the case yeah the the actual case is that the town got together as a group and we voted to come out and and see if you guys were gunslingers and and then there's this like kind of moment where um where Roland like stops the conversation by saying Charu tree. Mm-hmm. And Susanna's like, whoa. Because, you know, we just heard this long story about yeah. Charu tree and the stuffy guys and so on. And that sort of strikes a moment with uh, Over- Overhoser, who like kind of, you almost get this like cowboy close up eye thing <laughs> going on where it's like, <laughs> meow, meow, meow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> And so those those two are like looking at each other, and like he's uh, he's like you know um, there's there's no harriers here, so we can greet each other politely, mm-hmm. right? And and Overhoser like sits on that for a minute. And is like was this guy just uh, calling me like a crude individual who doesn't know how to to live in polite society? Going with the subtle shade, <laughs> and like stares at him, and Roland has no menace in his eyes, and so for a moment he's about to react and he's like no okay yeah all right you're right you know mm-hmm. <laughs> hello nice to meet you you know yeah mm-hmm. and it's like it's the game that's going on under the game yes. that is is super good and i see you got one star here i don't know if i covered everything so i'll throw it to you rachel what do you think so i mean i would say yeah obviously overhoser makes quite the first impression you know he's clear we can we learn a lot about his character in this part even maybe even more so than we did in that initial meeting in the in the meeting hall mm-hmm. you know that he is very accustomed to being the big fish in a little pond and in this case he it like he feels like maybe even without realizing it that it is giving him license to behave very rudely uh, and it's just an interesting contrast to the way that the people of river crossing tr- treated a gunslinger versus how he does it um but and also interesting is roland's response to that which is not to come from a place of pride but to be very calm and non-responsive and on carefully select his words like when he says charu tree like we understand the deeper meaning of charu tree from having like you said just gone through the the um wizard and glass but it also what it is is it's almost like a proof of understanding of his culture like he's basically saying like i understand this is like you know reef season and and to that kind of disarms overholzer to some degree because it means that he understands that like what 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 a farm life is like um 
And they have a back and forth about whether or not he really would know that and where he was really from. But it starts <laughs> yeah. to kind of like lay this groundwork of maybe surprising Overhoser by with who Roland is. Um, it's also just like very subtle manipulation by him. You know, it only takes the one perfectly chosen word to disarm Overhoser, which is it's just really interesting. We also have a little moment here where like the two where Jake sees a kid for the first time since he's been in. Yeah, they kind of run in parallel. So you have this like (laughs) this sort of um, uh, kind of like high stakes, like, you know, farms, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're men of a traveled world. You you don't have to fool me. I know what you're about. And like then on the other side, you have like jake and the the kid who's like look at that is that a is that a billy bumbler i've never seen a trained one and like uh immediately uh jake's like run over there and he does and the group's like well, what's your name and Oi's like oi and and immediately like they're like oh we could all be friends yeah oi the social lubricant right yep. <laughs> when there's no alcohol just have a billy bumbler and everybody can get along it like he breaks the ice in a particular way that like takes people off their guards which is necessary if they're gonna actually have this palaver yeah and you also get this um sort of juxtaposition of the two kids because um Mm -hmm. while jake is is physically younger than the other kid uh susanna points out immediately that 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 other kid hasn't seen nearly as much and looks sort of soft compared to jake right Mm. yeah i mean it tells you a lot about like how much jake has changed like we think of him as being the kid in the group but when you see him next to another kid you're like oh this kid's seen some shit (laughs) his own death (laughs) for one yeah i mean getting hit by the car getting pushed off the thing like knowing that your guts are out all Uh, over the place that'll harden you yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and then (laughs) having to go through a house with like a weird sex sex ritual (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Okay, let's not let's <laughs> recount all of, uh, uh, the adventures. Um, so basically, that they kind of come to a, a head, and it sort of dissipates. Uh, everybody is starting to tentatively feel okay about it. Um, I forget what the gal's name is in the back, but she speaks up and is like, hey, you know, we got sandwiches and stuff over here. And Overozer's like, no, nah, I want to talk to Roland. And Roland, uh, like, just casual Friday is like, yeah, for now, just have tea. Uh, Eddie, come on. Right, right. And, and Tian is not happy about it, but he says, like, um, isn't he your den? Which is interesting because Roland, like I said, he wasn't reacting out of pride with his mm-hmm. interactions with Overhoser. But at the same time, he's absolutely using Overhoser's pride in order to, to, to continue to manipulate him. He's not, quote unquote, convincing him, but he's convincing him, right? Right. Yeah. And we also get this like kind of fun moment where Eddie is like, um, didn't you hear what he said? You know, because like Roland's like, you know, I'm a gunslinger, basically, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and over is like, what? And Eddie's like, exactly. Yeah. You need hearing aids. Right. <laughs> He's like, My point. Exactly. <laughs> And so uh, basically they they pull him over, uh, they step away from the group for a minute, and uh, Overhoser and Roland and Eddie have a little bit of a plather. Um, The gist of it is that Overhoser is like, really? Are you really? Mm -hmm. And and Roland's like, yes, of uh, of the line of Eld, set your warrant. And and, uh, And then he's like, looks at the other guys and like, 
them too. And he's like that, you know, you be the judge of that, which is like also kind of a veiled, like, yeah, yeah you know, I know what they are, but uh, I'll let you figure this one out. Right. And, and as soon as he does that, you can feel like the change in Overhoser mm-hmm. from being like, I don't want these guys at all. And, and there's actually even a line um, that's like for a man like Overhoser, changing your mind on a topic is painful. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and like he wants there to be a way to protect these kids. He also has sort of a a pride in this because um, when they call them out for not having any kids that would be affected mm-hmm. by the calling – um, he sort of was like, oh, they just embarrassed me in front of this entire group, and I can't stand for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, he's a man who's worked hard on the farm, and even though he's used to getting what he wants, he's not someone who doesn't work hard. And so that thing makes him still want to find a way to to believe that Roland and the gang are actually what they say they are and that mm-hmm. there is actually hope for the children. Yeah. What's so interesting is like he successfully Roland successfully gets him to talk himself into it. Yep. Like he basically doesn't say much. He just says like he just confirms like oh I think he says like I said your warrant. You know, well there's something the like about like he's like Gilead's been gone for for you know it has been gone forever and he's like well I'm here I I'm still here and like that's and those little tiny statements are enough to give overhoser the permission structure to actually make change his mind because what is uncovered through this is that he actually he's scared he's just scared but if he could if he could he would change the situation with the wolves because yes he doesn't have kids but the burden of having all of these ruined children and the emotional impact of that the psychological impact of that like he would love for that not to be the case and so like I think what's interesting is this chap, this section, or I guess this chapter starts with you. I I had a particular in like impression of Overhoser, you know, with his "I want" lines and his bullying sort of uh, like overpowering, rude behavior at the beginning. But when you find out mm-hmm. that like underneath that there is like a there are better angels, it's interesting. I don't know what's going to happen if the fear at some point takes back over and my opinion of him changes. But as of right here, I feel like you, you, we do manage to get to a deeper place with him that makes a, makes ended up making me feel differently about him. Well, and you're basically the, he's a guy who's been well off for some time. Mm -hmm. He didn't start well off, but he worked hard and got there. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he's not used to getting lip or attitude from anyone and kind of has like a, well, I know the most because I worked hard and got here, so you should listen to me mm-hmm, first. Mm-hmm. And that attitude doesn't mean that you are trying to make the wrong decision. It just means that you're a little entitled. Yeah. Oh, whew, he is entitled. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but as a guy that's like kind of tough and bigger, um, as they're as they're uh, breaking away from this conversation, he actually takes over uh, Susanna's wheelchair duties to push her, mm-hmm. and like this is up a pretty big hill, and he just like bustles along with it, which yep. means you know he is still like a strong ox of a person mm-hmm. working on the farm, yep. same as the rest of his workers, and so that right. also it tells paints you him in like he's a, not just like hiring people to do his work; like he actually has a physical fitness. Yep, to him. exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. that's a really. And good so point. that kind of underlines like. I almost think of him more as like a stoic (laughs) 
old guy who's just like grumpy at everybody mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as like a default action mm-hmm. and and so it's not that he's he hates you any less than he hates anybody else he just treats everybody that way yeah yeah you, you know the guy right yeah i mean i i i what's interesting is i had a very particular impression of him and i think some of it is correct but this this chapter actually showed that there was more to him than just being that stereotype of of just sort of the like kind of wealthiest person with the most to lose in town um Mm -hmm. who's maybe you know not that concerned with the needs of others because of his own personal greed like this actually showed that there was a care for the town even though it wasn't obvious like super apparent initially because he's coming from a place of fear but yeah, yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i agree with you and so as he's pushing uh Susanna, he like kinda has a little bit of banter with her and um So Roland's Susanna's plan was, grumpy. Roland's planned worked. <laughs> yeah, and he's kinda grumpy or Susanna's a little grumpy on the in- internals because she's like, you know, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be the one who's answering these questions. Yeah. Uh Roland's supposed to be answering them. If more than one person starts answering questions, there's a good chance we could be contradicted, you know? Yeah. And she's like, okay, well, I'll tell him a little bit. So he asks about her wheelchair because, you know, it's a fairly fancy wheelchair for a place like that. And Susanna basically says, you know, like we came from before the or beyond the thinny. And and that's when we get the first introduction of the gang to uh, Andy, the robot. But they don't know Andy is a robot yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, he's like, yeah, yeah. Andy told us about the thinny. I haven't been there myself, but, you know, I don't think I would want to. Right. <laughs> And then also, like, uh, basically, uh, Overhoser asks, like, you know, are you guys from all from the same place from New York? Mm-hmm. And, like, she answers that as well. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, so he has been paying attention and, like, kind of sleuthing and trying to learn what he can about these guys mm-hmm. on top of of also being, like, kind of just stubborn old guy. Not, not just one-dimensional dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this awesome little bit where uh, where Eddie, as they're, like, wandering up, is like, Hey, uh, you know, I bet I could guess your middle name mm-hmm. and, and like, it's sort of a, he's like, yeah, you know, I use it to tell fortunes and, and, and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, we, we just hear about Andy and we're now we're going to like get into fortune telling and horoscope type stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so that goes hand in hand and Eddie's like, you know, does your middle name start with, uh, I don't know, duh. Cause you know, we've gotten the letters symbolisms before. Um, and sure enough, it's Dale and Eddie even threw in like, Oh, it's probably only four or five letters long. Mm-hmm. And Overhoser like leans down and like whispers to Susanna. He's like, is that guy crazy? Or is he just real sharp? <laughs> little bit of both and she's like a little bit of both actually you know a little bit of column b yeah which i thought was actually like kind of a fun little aside that goes it's a cute character moment because she's both like careful eddie but also like charmed by him you know and i'm just like it's a sweet moment of kind of seeing their dynamic it's much better than her just like grabbing his crotch in the cradle you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) like these are the moments that make me invest in the love story a lot more just these subtle little like dynamics between them yeah um and then you know we get this like kind of um spooked moment where uh, everybody reaches for their holster um I was thinking, and actually, I wanted to mention this too before I finish up. But um, Docker's clutch. So we've heard that term a few times, mm. and what I was was wondering is like maybe is that like referring to like um, 
like a clerk at a at a store or something like that you know because if you're in like a western town i would suppose like you would have that gun holster that's maybe under your arm but i don't know what the docker's clutch actually looks like so i was wondering if you had a picture from like the comic books of of jake with possibly that on i looked it up and somebody actually asked that exact question on a on a firearms forum which is a weird place to end up um i I did not expect you to be hanging out on the nra i I am surprised to be here as well and so i think it is a fictional thing from this from this book but i think what it is is like basically kind of like a a shoulder holster of some kind where it's kind of like on the chest. I can show you a picture of what came up. Maybe we should attach it to the show notes because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's ever wondered what a docker's clutch actually looks like. So basically it's worn around the chest and over the shoulder. So it's not like a shoulder holster that would go under a suit, but it like actually sits on your front. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So I believe huh. that is what they mean by a docker's clutch. Okay, yeah, definitely put that in the show that notes. That being said, that's like, I know we had a listener, I think it was John, or, who said that they would be willing to be our sort of like our gun expert. So if you actually know what a doctor's clutch is and what I'm describing is incorrect, like slide into the DMs, hit me up on the, the Castica email, however you want to get in touch. Let me know, um, and we will circle back to this next episode if I got this wrong. Okay, yeah, because I've kind of breezed over it a few times, just assuming I knew what it was, and then realizing at this moment that I had no clue yeah. what it actually looked like. I tend to, like, with um, the gun details, go like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I thought it was, like, the, you know, like, the old um, crisscross across your chest where the guns are, like, in your armpits, basically. Because mm-hmm. um, you used to like, uh, you'd see a lot of older westerns where they would have the like bandoliers, um, the, the bandoliers yeah. of bullets, mm-hmm. and then they would just like reach into both armpits and then like spread their arms out and have their guns ready. Yeah, and and, and I, I thought that's what it was. And then, maybe like, it is. Maybe it is further to the side. Yeah, I don't know, but but then like he only reached for one, and so then I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because those are usually like a two parter type of thing, right? Yeah, and um, well, he has his dad's gun, right? He has Elmer's gun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, basically the whole gang gets spooked. We're like, what? And then, you know, camera pans up. Everybody's reaching for their gun. And it's Andy the robot. And he's uh, he's sparkly. The food smells really good. Um, and now they know who is cooking it. And he's got, you know, uh, uh, the the regular logo of South Central Positronics. And what else? Oh, Lamarck Foundry, of course. There you go. Uh, and like Stephen King even takes a moment to say like, well, these two names are making a, a debut again. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like every time they get ready to get away from them, they show back up. Yeah. And then, then we cut end scene and out. Yeah. Okay. So I think there's a couple like quick things I just want to touch on in this section, which is Susan takes note of this like burned path through the woods. Essentially, I believe they're like kind of like little burned signposts to like help them find the path through the wood, which I just think is a good little sort of world building character moment and tells you a little bit about the people of Colibrin Sturges. Like there's a 
brief mention earlier when I think it's Overhoser talks about not being a forest person. Forest people. Yeah. And yeah. I think what that tells us is like these are people who have sort of like just sort of a low grade. They come from a place of fear in general. Like they're either a suspicious people or a fearful people that they're like afraid of the wilds and they just sort of stay in the like in the confines and the safe like relative safely of Colibrin Sturges. Um, and venturing out is not something that they're they're you know brave enough to do and if they do that it's you know scary for them so i think that's just mm -hmm. like an interesting bit of information about the people and culture of, of colorbrin sturges um also when we meet andy there's this again this real he gives me the creeps and one of the things i think it is is like when he sees them there's this moment where you hear this sort of like mysterious clicking inside of him as he's thinking deep inside of his mysterious bowels yeah exactly and i think that there is something like i said mysterious and sinister about it that you can literally hear his wheels turning but he's because he's <laughs> a robot and he doesn't have expressions you have no idea what is happening underneath the surface and i think that that when you can't read someone makes them feel Less, unless they're like you know R two D two and C three people are like boop 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 like there uh, there's something about him that just feels off to me uh, and that's like a and then he, then he switches into like would you like your horoscope see how benign I am mm -mm, I don't <laughs> buy it I don't buy it I mean and then the shiny blue eyes just shine uh, staring you down as you walk up a hill yep exactly hmm. and then of course obviously the overholzer name needs to be mentioned I don't I um. I don't know that we've explicitly said this, but he shares the name with the author that Cal, uh, Calvin Tower says, like, or it compares Jake to when he's in the in the bookstore. So that's why they knew that the letter letter D, or that his middle name started with the letter D. Um, and then obviously the nineteen characters is what gave him the insight into like why it would be a four or five he knew it was gonna be four it confirmed that that theory that it would be 19 characters and as we know because Ka loves to leave a signpost like you're on the right path the fact that he also has 19 letters in his name is kind of a sign that they're on the right path like that you know it has it has to be Ka, right i don't know mm -hmm. just something worth noting all right cool so overall what did you think of this chapter I mean, uh, you know, it's it's just rolling convincing people, mm -hmm, <laughs> to be mm -hmm, honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, and then some like little bits of more information. I was pleasantly surprised that we got a view from uh, Susanna's head, yes. but also uh, a little bit miffed that that view was just as cloudy as the out out <laughs> outbound view. Yeah, yeah. And then like you know, oil gets a chance to prance around and like do some fun stuff and like it's kind of funny when you visualize jake swallowed up like a proud dad oh he's like yeah look at him look at him do this do that it's so cute it's kind of nice to see jake get to be a kid a little bit we also got one thing that um i forgot to mention and i wanted to bring this up real quick is uh they do mention that like they've heard that billy bumblers can count mm -hmm. and and like that sort of underlines again that there's more to misty eye with this particular creature. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we know this from our view, but like counting is like, yeah, you know, that's, that's next level stuff for, uh, you know, what would otherwise be like, I don't know, a muskrat. Oh, that's so disrespectful to Oi. <laughs> yeah. I, I like this chapter. I mean, there's not, it's, it's very much a place setting chapter, but it gave me something which I had been dying for, which is, inside Susanna's head 
a little bit. Like we find out essentially that she is somewhat lying to herself, which is good mm-hmm. because I feel like we need to understand her motivations a little bit better. It also is a very dangerous situation. Like we he, we know how Detta interacted with the rest of our content. How is Mia going to interact with the rest of our content? And Susanna is not going to have any say in that whatsoever because clearly she's in the same kind of situation she was in before where, like, she has no real awareness. In fact, she's, like, actively taking steps to prevent herself from knowing what's going on. So that was good. Um, And I think it was it was there was good character moments in this. I feel like it's setting stuff up. It felt very much like a building chapter to something else. Um, And I'm excited to see where it goes. And uh, I hope they get a good meal. So yeah, <laughs> so that's my thoughts on this chapter. As for the next chapter, for those of people who are playing along, we are going to be covering chapter six, The Way of Eld, which, I mean, I without even having read the chapter, I feel like we're going to get some awesome world building. What do you think? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> that, that title just says, I'm going to be good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so Stephen King Universe Connections. Now, this is one that I may or may not have missed in the last episode. I remember you were asking me about, like, the places that Pear Callahan had been before and what the significance of that oh, was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the time, I – okay, this is sort of like a a listener theory more so than it is like a confirmed connection from Stephen King. Um, And that is from the book Roadwork, which is, I believe, one of the Bachman books. I'm not sure. But there's a character in that book called uh, Phil Drake who could very well be Father Callahan. And he is – the character is like a fallen priest who is like helping the homeless. And he will not allow himself to be called Father, just like Father Callahan won't won't and he has a scarred right hand just like father callahan has and so even though we've never had confirmation from king uh it's believed that he was he probably is that same character and roadwork takes place sort of in an unnamed midwestern town which could be like somewhere along his way between new york and topeka kansas Ooh. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool, actually. I, I was, it, it did kind of strike me that Stephen King took the time to like yeah. name all of those things, right? and so it's really nice when it like actually connects to something. Mm-hmm. I should have trusted the process. I should have done my research, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I found that today when I was doing the research for this episode. All right, nice. cool. So I don't have any Stephen King new, uh, Stephen King news. So we can move past that. Um, let's get into our listener feedback and Facebook group question. Last time I asked because we are learned we learned about the kind of I think the larger story that we're leading into in these in these last three books and that is this um, multiverse heist and so I wanted to know from you guys what your favorite sort of heist movies books whatever anything from pop culture like the best heists in your opinion. Do you have an answer for this, DJ, or would you like me to move on to the listeners and circle I mean, I kind of actually always had sort of a a soft spot for The Lord of the Rings. You know what? That's kind of a heist movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's all heist. Like you're just like stealing stuff from other people the whole time. Yeah. But like you're wrapping it up in like we're brave questers. But like what about this poor goblin? Now he doesn't have a thing anymore. You're saying they stole the ring from Gollum? (laughs) The ring heist? (laughs) <laughs> yeah i think that's a solid answer yeah so that one's a fun one uh as far as real ones go though like 
so many good weird like roll around ones like oceans 11 mm-hmm. and oceans 13 and the original oceans 11 from like the 50s mm-hmm. those are like i love them but they're they get to that point where it's like i think a rick and morty episode made fun of it yeah. where it's like Son of a bitch. they just like keep showing up to like <laughs> random dudes houses that are like different specialties and they're just like son of a bitch i'm in <laughs> it's like, well, like does everybody just have like 14 different craft folks laying around in their history to like go grab and like do this like bank vault you know <laughs> switch out like measure all the security system stuff mm-hmm. but yeah uh, anyway lord of the rings uh, rachel what about you so i had a you i do tend to enjoy a heist story so i i I respond positively to them so i have a few first one is a a a set of two books by lee bardugo six of crows and Mm -hmm. crooked kingdom i'm sure i've talked about it on the show before it's like set in the shadow and bone world but it's like its own sort of side story about a group of criminals basically over the course of two books conducting like insane heists um and it it's great it's a really good sort of like heisty type of movie but it's got really cool world building um because it's like set in that grisha verse or whatever and like really mm-hmm. really really great lovable complicated characters so if you've never read those even if like you're thinking i don't want to read like ya like which is totally understandable because most of <laughs> books are like the same it's like basically the same story in a different outfit these ones differ from that because they are heist films and they're not like very like chosen one uh, fighting over the love of over, between two boys. Like it's none of that crap. It's just like heisty goodness. Um, and then I had two movies that I really love that are heist films, which the first one is Hell or High Water. Did you ever see that? No. Okay. It has Chris Pine and Ben. I can't think of it. Affleck? No. Um oh my god Diller? no <laughs> they're like these two brothers who live in east texas and they plan a series of bank heists um mm-hmm. to save their sort of family farm um and like against a particular bank in particular like who they have like personal familial issues with it's i believe directed by the person who did sicario it's excellent it's so good it's like like a slice of americana with like you know Lots of bank robberies. Where, where, how, how is there, you know, what is there not to love, right? And then finally, <laughs> this is like a personal favorite of mine. Uh, it, and it like speaks to a very specific time in the 2000s when there was like, everybody was trying to be Quentin Tarantino and failing miserably, except for I feel like in this one case, <laughs> which is the movie Out of Sight. Have you ever seen that with um, uh, George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez? Uh, is that the one where um, they're trying to train psychics to like kill goats with their No, brain? that's men who stare at goats. That's another good oh, one. Okay. <laughs> no, so George Clooney is like the greatest bank robber ever and he escapes prison um, and ends up like kidnapping Jennifer Lopez, who's like a federal marshal. And like they have this sort of like instant chemistry, but they're on like wrong sides of, of this. And he's like trying to do this heist and she's basically trying to track him down. Um, but they have like this weird sort of mutual respect and I don't know. It's really, really good. It has like great characters. Like it has, it's sort of like of that time when like Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels came out. Like, Oh yeah. I love those two. Those are great. Right, movies. Those are great movies. If you like those movies, you'd probably like out of sight because it, it has kind of that same sort of DNA. Like it reminds me a lot of like Jackie Brown. I don't know. It's a great movie. If you've never seen it, I feel like there's, 
people maybe skip it because they're like George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, but it's actually <laughs> pretty great. It's really, really good. It has like John Ch- Don Cheadle's in it, and he's really amazing. And it has, yeah, it's it's good. I would highly recommend checking it out. Now you got me thinking: Does a uh, simple plan count as a heist movie? I mean, kind. Well, I mean, they don't necessarily go steal they don't have a plan to go steal it right like the plane no they just have a plan to hold on to it yeah it does not go well Well. (laughs) all right so those are ours let's see what the listener said hold on i got an email from it let me start with the email okay all right so this one comes from our listener john who said to answer this week's question my favorite heist story uh, and or media. I have chosen three movies. Top of the list is Inside Man with Denzel Washington and Clive Owen. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen that. I vaguely remember seeing it. Um, I dated someone or well, didn't date someone. I uh, had a friend that was like really into Denzel Washington. Okay. I mean. And like so I ended up having to watch like, I don't know, seven so if that's like pre-2002, then definitely. Okay, got it, got it. I mean, I, I love Denzel Washington and Clive Owen, so I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen this. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. The second is The Italian Job with Mark Wahlberg, which, I mean, don't you mean The Italian Job with Cherise Theron? Get it right, okay? <laughs> Put some respect on it. That's one of the minis, all the little minis and the car chase with the minis. That's what I remember most about it. I was like, I want him. Mm, I don't. I want a mini. I don't watch enough movies. Apparently, like I don't know half of this stuff. <laughs> mm. And then this last one is new, and I don't. I guess I didn't even realize it was a heist movie, which is Red Notice. It's like a new Netflix movie with Gal Gadot, uh, Ryan Reynolds, and Dwayne Johnson. Oh yeah, yeah. I I saw that one drop, and um, it was like Ryan Reynolds is just like, I would like a paycheck, please. <laughs> Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's on Netflix and it has a good cast. Now that I know it's a heist movie, I'm way more interested than I was before. So I might Mm. have to give that a look-see. And then finally, honorable mention to Army of the Dead and Army of Thieves. I haven't seen Army of Thieves yet. I was curious about it because I really liked the safe cracker from Army of the Dead. He was like kind of a standout for me. So I need to actually go back and watch Army of Thieves. You know, if you think it, about it kind of like make you sad, uh, Indiana Jones is sort of a heist movie. It is kind of a heist movie. He's like, it's like an archaeological like, heist. Yeah. Yeah. He's like stealing stuff yeah. from like ancient ruins yeah. in other countries and like smuggling it back to their museum in the yeah. United States. So that he, it does kind of like has. sort of make the take the position of like white people stealing antiquities from other countries as the good guys but really i don't recommend very many podcasts uh on my or on our podcast because it's um it's you know i it's not a thing Uh, but i will recommend this one and it's called the stuff the british stole and it's just like one item at a time uh as they cover like these antiquities that the that the British basically went over and stole and then yeah. like stuck in a museum. And there's stuff I had no idea about. Like apparently all of the Greek statues from the Parthenon used to be painted. Uh-huh. And oh, yeah. the British folks like sort of like made up some faux documents and then like knocked them all out and brought them to England. Wow. And then when they weren't doing well painted, he like power washed them <laughs> so that they were just granite and like yeah, it's it's super, 
super dark stuff. Yeah, like when you see like when like people who did like graffiti in Egypt when they like discovered things and they like carved their names into it, that shit drives me insane. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Anyway, okay, sorry. So uh, we got a couple answers from the listeners on Facebook. The first one comes from Tim, and he says American animals, which I have not seen because it's unorthodox in its true storytelling. Ooh, I don't know what that means. American animals writing this down. Okay. And then the other one is an excellent question answer. He says the great Muppet caper. Oh yeah. yeah. Because it's a childhood favorite and still holds up. Yes. Anytime the answer is Muppets, the answer is correct. And then finally, this one is a personal favorite of mine. It, a fish called Wanda because it's a hilarious bona fide classic. Oh my God. To this day, I, I, I think Wanda? about there's a part where, um kevin klein is like spying on wanda when she's like hooking up with john cleese and like his head just like keeps popping up in windows and i giggle about it that that movie is hilarious <laughs> have you ever seen it it's like no, Jamie I'm, Lee I Curtis. oh it's so good okay and then finally david my buddy david uh says sneakers because it's all about simple misdirection and planning oh yeah that's a good movie i saw it years and years ago but i haven't i don't remember it at all i feel like i need to remember is that the one with like gina gershon uh it's got um uh what's his name from the ghostbusters in it and a bunch of uh, and another Ackroyd, i think and then um they're basically like pre-hacker hackers um so they're using like a lot of the skills that were like early days like the whistler um, I don't know if you ever like the guy that could do Captain Crunch whistles and like get the phone to dial oh, long distance shit. numbers. Um, and so they're like doing that kind of, of hack stuff. And this is like basically the edge of that like cyberpunk uh, uh-huh. wave in the 90s where you had this and then you had actual uh, what was the movie hackers? Yeah, Angelina <laughs> where, <Jolie>. like, <laughs> yes. where like computers were ridiculous and like the books that they were bringing out were actually from the the 80s and 70s. Holy shit, this cast is wild. It's Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, Sidney Poitier, uh, River Phoenix is in this? Yep. David Strathern. Yeah, wow, 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 wow. It's a really good movie. Uh, Great actors. Um, Yeah. I'm always on the fence with Dan Aykroyd because, like, I like him, but I also know he's a cuckoo. And I mean, so I also I his cuckoo-ness is part of it's a feature, not a bug for me. <laughs> <laughs> but in this, like, his cuckoo-ness like actually like lines up with the character that he's playing in such an excellent way that you're like, Yeah, that's fine if you want to put uh vodka in diamonds and then stick it in a stall. That's that's cool, man. I kinda you wanna get you. a bottle of his like crystal skull vodka. Whenever I see it at the I liquor mean, store, I'm like, do I want to spend money on this? And I never do, but I always think about it. <laughs> it's like a it's a dumb, smart advertising ploy that does nothing for because, you know, it's vodka. Yeah. And, I, and it, it also like, speaks to like his like conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like mm-hmm. when he's, he's probably just like chain smoking in a room. He's like, more diamonds now. This vodka's not right. Oh my God. <laughs> I just found a funny picture of him. I'm going to put it in our chat. Um, but yeah, yeah, these all sound great. I feel like I need to do like a little weekend heist watch. Like occasionally I'll get like a, in a mood for like a particular kind of movie. Like I, I'll have like, a, I'm going to watch all of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies this weekend. I think maybe I need like a heist, heist weekend. 
heisty goodness. Yeah, yeah. Heisty goodness. All right. Okay, so that just leaves our question for next episode. Oh, first of all, thank you, everyone that answered. We love hearing from you. Uh, we got some good recommendations. I need to check out this American Animals. I need to revisit Sneakers. Yeah, this is great. Um, so for those of you who would like to play along next episode, we're going to do another dream casting. We are going to cast one Dwayne Dale Overhoser. So think about someone who can be, who can pull off the like entitled dick, but also has maybe some levels to him. Think about it. So we'll be doing that on the mm. next episode. I cannot wait to see who you pull out. I have somebody in mind, <laughs> but I, I, I like when he was younger, like it, I ended up live. But you know what I mean? <laughs> but we'll, we'll get into that next episode. <laughs> okay. So again, plan for next episode. Everybody read chapter six, The Way of the Elb, and we'll be reviewing that next time. So if you want to get in touch with us, you want to answer the question, you have comments, you know what a Docker's clutch is, whatever the case may be. Drop us a line at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z.com. Or you can chat with us over on the Cast of Caw Facebook group. You can uh, hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at ZG Podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, do us a huge favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. And if you're listening on Spotify, they now allow for a star rating. So take a sec and uh, drop a star rating on there for us. Five stars. Okay, thanks. Uh, if you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight, because you, like me, love scary movies, check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com, where we keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on various streaming services, as well as on video on demand. And uh, if you want to check out some new cool gear, check out our merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. We have some really cool designs coming in the future. I've been working with a new artist who's going to be doing some art for some of our shows so there's going to be some new merch coming soon which i'm really excited about and if you love us and you really want to support us you can show your love through the the medium of cash money at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls where you'll get extended episodes on every show on the network as well as lots of really cool perks we've got some fun bonus episodes planned in fact we've got our first bonus episode of 2022 coming up very soon um i think there's even some live video stuff of us right there is currently already some and there will be more in this year so (laughs) if you want to see and not just hear what you're experiencing right now become a patron Uh, all right cool so that is it for all the plugs thank you to patrons again for all of your support dj if people want more of you in their life where can they find you on the internet uh, you can swing over to deadlander.com and check out whatever's going on there. You can uh, also <laughs> see me uh, participating in the Discord, uh, occasionally on YouTube at uh, uh, DSLR Film Noob, um, and uh, also just randomly on Etsy. <laughs> Maybe I'll start selling plant hangers. Who knows? Rachel, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me, as usual, on the Zombie Girls podcast, a review horror from a feminist perspective. You can find me on Stream Queens, review horror films that you can stream on the internet. You can find me on More Deadly, where we review horror films that are directed exclusively by women-identified directors. And you can find me on the Untitled Nick Cage show, where we're reviewing all of Nick Cage's Reviewing is a stretch. We're discussing all of Nick Cage's films starting from the very beginning. Although we cheated, our latest episode, which will be out very soon, is on The Rock, which is my co-host Larry's maybe favorite Nick Cage movie that we did specially for his birthday. Um, And you can talk hear about why it was like literally influenced the path of his life. 
his life was changed by the rock <laughs> in a very <laughs> real and substantial way. And also started carrying around green balls with him and, and telling people not to drop. Them. Uh, yeah. Got I it. mean, part of part kind sort of, <laughs> you're not that wrong. Okay. Um, and then also this, this month, um, we're continuing our scream, uh, rewatch on here's Johnny where myself and Marsh from the stream queen are joining the fellows over on that show, which you should check out. We just actually, deviated from that and reviewed until the video game until dawn just kind of a slasher video game and is a lot of fun and so you should yeah you should definitely check them out and then occasionally also will will pop up on bloody good horse so if you're not following them you should follow them as well that is it for moi so dj take us out before i take us out hey i got a request for the nick cage podcast <laughs> So can you guys do a special episode that just covers the Nick Cage divorce money fiasco that has like led him <laughs> to his current lifestyle of saying yes to every dress that comes his way? Every dress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's the thing where he like bought an island. He he just like he just blew through all of his money. Like he just bought everything. Yeah, the the list of things like I got into this conversation at the bar and the list of things that like Nick Cage bought to blow all of his money yeah. is just it's wild. It's, yeah, I mean, like he's living the dream though like he sometimes it doesn't work out so good the, the, i have three castles in foreclosure dream yeah there's a have you seen the trailer for his new movie the unbearable weight of greatness or something where he's playing no. himself it's actually pretty funny and he makes fun of that aspect of himself like he sees a stat this horrible like madame tussaud statue of himself is in somebody's collection he's like that's horrifying. I'll give you $50,000 for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I think he's in on the joke a little bit, which makes him even more endearing. All right. Oh, Nick Cage. All right. Now I can take a second. Yeah, <laughs> I've got that one request. All right, guys. Um, as a, a silver aficionado, please go out there today and dig through your drawers and tell me what spoon <laughs> is used for what. I want a chart, a pie chart, maybe a gantry, uh, any anything you can that, like, breaks out all of the spoon uses. And why? Because I've always seen those tiny little spoons, never known what they're for. But I want to, and I'm sure I could Google it, but it'd be more fun if you email me. Anyway, that's it for the <laughs> cast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. Welcome to the extended episode of the cast of Kaw, where we're going to be talking about something, but I don't know what DJ, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, in, uh, in the announcement recently, uh, Netflix is picking up a uh, Chinese author to do, um, a remad or well, not a reimagining actually just to do the, uh, three body problem, which is been translated to English. It's a crazy sci-fi plot that covers like, all kinds of existential and strange new sci-fi ideas that I had never run into before. And so in the last two weeks, besides making sure I was up to date on this podcast's uh, reading, listening requirements, I may have blazed through about 55 hours Whoa. worth of three books. What are they called? In the series. Um, it's called the Three Body Problem. Oh, that's a great name. That is a great sci-fi name, by the way. Just in oh. baseline. Oh yeah, 
and and like you take that to the next level um it's an orbital mechanics problem and, oh so it's talking about like heavenly body like i uh like so um if uh if a nebula or not a nebula if a galaxy has three stars the problem is calculating the the phase and rotation of the planet's gravities based on the three um opposing bodies so if you have one it's really easy because everything just goes around no problem if you have two you can calculate it pretty easily but it's still more complicated but when you get to three um i think up until recently and maybe even still like the mechanics of calculating and figuring out where and when each of the bodies will influence and pass each other it is beyond us um, and so that's like a really cool start to the whole thing. Oh. And then the author – and I, I don't want – I won't spoil anything, but I want to touch on a few of the sci-fi plots yeah. that are addressed in here so that you can get an idea of like what kind of book you're looking at. Okay. So it starts off with like uh, the author basically imagining like what would a world look like that was stuck in the middle of this strange orbital mechanics. Oh. And 